It's just not true. It's a lie that we've been told that gets perpetuated by clickbaity headlines that you look at Elon Musk and you think that the default for a founder is you sleep at your office. And he does do that. And, and I get it. That's cool. But he has $186 billion. He is unequivocally the outlier in multiple generations of human beings. You are not, if you're listening to me right now, you are not going to be Elon Musk, nor am I. I'm never going to have $186 billion. For that matter, I never want $186 billion because it means that seven days a week, I will have to sleep at my factory on the floor in a boardroom. And I don't want to choose that life. So the sacrifice fallacy for me, this thing that I'm trying to tell people is, if you put yourself at the top of your priority list, you sleep properly, you eat properly, you exercise, you have good relationships, then you're a nicer human to be around. My name is Diana, and this is The Family Finance Show, the podcast to help you manage your family's finances better. Every week, we share an episode on topics relating to increasing your family's income and managing expenses, controlling your debt, and investing for the future. Welcome to The Family Finance Show with Diana Granu, proudly brought to you by Old Mutual. This podcast is your weekly guide to effective budgeting, planning, and future-proofing of your family's finances. Because money matters to every family, and every family matters at Old Mutual. Enjoy the show. Starting a side hustle is one of the best ways to increase your income and spread your risk if you currently only have one source of income. This week, I talked to Nick Haralambas, a serial entrepreneur and the author of How to Start a Side Hustle. If you are planning to start a side hustle or have recently started one, I hope this episode and Nick's book give you the inspiration and confidence you need to get started and keep going. One of the best ways to save more is to increase your income without increasing your expenses by the same amount. And starting a side hustle is a good way to increase your income. Nick, welcome to the show. And maybe you can start by telling us why you love side hustles so much and why you wrote How to Start a Side Hustle. Uh, an interesting question. Um, so I don't know if I like side hustles necessarily in any specific way more than building businesses in general. Um, I... I have a long past of building things. I started my first business when I was 16. Um, I started coding when I was 11, built my first website when I was 12. And from the age of 16 to now, which is nearly 37, all I've done is build businesses, whether they are big startups that have raised lots of money um, and gone international or just started little side hustles on top of my little businesses that turned into big ones. So that's kind of where my obsession stems from. Um, it's really all I've ever known how to do is build things um, in spite of having a journalism, politics and philosophy degree. Even while I was doing those things, I was still building businesses, getting in a band and touring the country and doing all sorts of crazy things. Um, so the reason I chose to write, write this book um, is very contextual in relation to this pandemic that we're all in. So um, a lot of my income stems from speaking gigs, which are normally in person uh, at an event in front of thousands of people. And obviously with COVID, that got completely destroyed. So I decided to not um, get myself into a flat spin and rather think about how I could help people who don't have the skills that I've acquired over 20 years. Um, and that came out in the form of a book called How to Start a Side Hustle. And 
that's what I put into the world. I sat down and took three weeks to write the first draft, then self-published that on my website, sold a few hundred copies, and then uh, the book was picked up by a publisher. And now it is in stores around the world. That's uh, such a cool story. And I, I read your book uh, recently. I read the Kindle version and enjoyed it very much. Um, one of the things I wanted to pick up on that you wrote in your book is that people often hold back from starting a side hustle because they fear failure. But you say that people should redefine failure as not trying rather than as trying and then failing. So failure is not an end point. It's a through point. How can people practically get through this fear of failure that holds them back from starting their side hustle? Um, so practically, there are a lot of um, broad statements that I think people need to come to terms with that will help them with this. Um, the first one is you have more than one idea in your brain. And part of the reason we are so fearful of failure is because we think that this one idea we have is the idea that we will always ever have. And it's just not true. If you have one idea, the likelihood is your first idea is not your best idea. And you need to get that idea out into the world, test it, see if it's going to work. And if it doesn't, learn the lessons from that failure and put those lessons into your next idea. And the second thing um, that relates to this before we get into actual failure is perfection. Uh, I like to tell people that perfection is perilous. If you are waiting for something to be perfect, the chances are you've waited too long. You've uh, taken an extra six months when you should have gotten the product out there. I have done this so many times in the past with businesses where you think that you've got your product absolutely nailed down, and then you put it out into the world and people using it completely use it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And you just don't know until you've got it out in the world. So if you can come to terms with the fact that nothing is ever perfect, nothing is ever done, um, then it's likely that you will start to build things more frequently and when you do build things more frequently, you start to realize that failure isn't the opposite of success. And this is what I say very clearly in the book. Failure isn't the opposite of success. Not trying is the opposite of success. And we've been conditioned incorrectly throughout school. I mean, think about your matric results. When after matric, has it ever happened that if you failed a single exam, your life was over? Yeah. It doesn't exist. It's not real. And we, we're programmed to believe that that is reality. And it's just not the reality I have. I, my first book called Do Fail, Learn, Repeat was literally a chronological telling of my 10 back-to-back -back business failures. That's life. Life is filled with failures. I've interviewed on my podcast founders of Starbucks and electronic arts and Ferrari racing drivers, and all of them unequivocally embrace failure as part of the learning experience. Yes, it's part of being an entrepreneur. I, I, I can totally relate to that. Um, but also at the same time, having said that we shouldn't let fail, uh, fear of failure hold you back, um, it's also not a good idea to, to jump in unprepared. And you give the analogy of uh, starting a business is like bringing a baby into the world. And I can totally relate to that as well, because whenever people ask me if I, if I want a third child, I always say my business is my third child. And it clearly, clearly felt that way to me. When I started Leopard in 2018, it felt like I was giving birth to another child, honestly, how, however weird that might sound. Um, so what are some of the ways people can prepare for starting a side hustle so they just don't jump in blind? Yeah, so that's also a big part of why this book for me is so interesting and personal, um, because it's very counterintuitive advice. So the first half of the book um, actually has nothing to do with building your business. 
because I've learned through intense experience in this uh, regard that your mindset and your lifestyle are things you need to prepare before you even start building a business. Um, the chances are your mindset is going to defeat you before your business doesn't make money. The chances are your partner is going to make you choose them or your business before your business doesn't make money. So to really prepare for building a sustainable and successful side hustle, you actually need to get your mindset right. You need to get your lifestyle right. You need to be fit and healthy. And you need to have prepared efficiently in everything in the periphery from your side hustle. The actual idea and the actual selling, they're the third and fourth things you get to. Because the way that I see it is so many people struggle, and this is a, a problem I get when people join my side hustle program, they struggle with time. Every single person I know is too busy, doesn't have enough time, is always stressed and always anxious. And the difficult part for me is we all have the same 24 hours in the day, yet some people manage to produce orders of magnitude, more work and better quality work than the average person. And that's not because they have more time, it's because they're better at prioritizing. And this is the genesis of the problem with people who start side hustles and expect them to magically just fit into your life. They can't. You have to make time. You have to make space. And that means getting your mindset right, getting your lifestyle right. Mm, I mean, it's it's kind of the same as, as you were saying, the physical health side of, uh, side of being an entrepreneur. And that's so often overlooked. Um, I remember when I was starting Leopard, one of my good friends, Katlejo, uh, he's one of the founders of Yoko, he specifically mentioned this to me and, and specifically spent a lot of time talking about this. And I, I thought it was quite unusual when, when he was, uh, the emphasis he was placing on, on physical and also mental health when I told him I was going to leave uh, my corporate job and, and start Leopard. Um, why, why is it so important to maintain your physical health when starting a business or a side hustle? Yeah, Kat and I have uh, talked about this topic ad nauseum, actually, um, because once you have matured as a founder, whether it's a side hustle, a startup, a business, whatever, um, you understand that you have to put yourself at the top of your priority list. And in the book, I call this the sacrifice fallacy. Um, we have been trained to believe that you have to sacrifice your mental and physical health to build something of worth and something of value. And it's, it's just not true. It's a lie that we've been told that gets perpetuated by clickbaity headlines, that you look at Elon Musk and you think that the default for a founder is you sleep at your office. And he does do that. And, and I get it. That's cool. But he has $186 billion. He is unequivocally the outlier in multiple generations of human beings. You are not, if you're listening to me right now, you are not going to be Elon Musk, nor am I. I'm never going to have $186 billion. For that matter, I never want $186 billion because it means that seven days a week, I will have to sleep at my factory on the floor in a boardroom. And I don't want to choose that life. So the sacrifice fallacy for me, this thing that I'm trying to tell people is if you put yourself at the top of your priority list, you sleep properly, you eat properly, you exercise, you have good relationships, then you're a nicer human to be around. Those days of being 20 years old and working till 4 a.m., getting three hours of sleep and still thinking that the code you wrote the night before was good, they're gone. It was never good code. You always had somebody else rewriting your code because you were exhausted. And the time you get, um, the, the time you lose when you don't sleep properly, you never get back. Your body doesn't recover. And I can tell you now as a 36-year-old founder, I want eight hours of sleep. I am so much more effective when I've actually slept properly and exercised that day. 
So some people might be listening to this podcast now and thinking, yes, they want to start a side hustle. They've got an idea. They they prepared, but uh, they might be worried about the risk involved because starting a side hustle does involve some risk and there's various risks involved in doing this. How could that listener think about risk and manage that risk so that they actually push through and, and, and do start the side hustle? Yeah, there's a couple of things to highlight here. The first is um, I'm absolutely not telling anybody to spend money they don't have or spend time they don't have building a side hustle. That is when the risk is too much. Risk your relationships, your family, your mental stability, your finances. That's crazy. Um, you think that the idea you have is your one shot to being a billionaire, so you put your last 5,000 rand into it. But the stats disagree with you. 80% of small businesses fail within the first 18 months. That means that there's an 80% chance that you will lose that 5,000 rand within 18 months. So don't overcommit. Um, the second part of that is you need to recalibrate your expectations. And this is such a huge one. When people think of the idea that they've been holding on to preciously for the last five years and they gear up to build it, they think bigger than they should initially. Their expectations are, I need a million customers, I'm going to make a billion rand, and all of this is going to be done in six months. And then when it takes you eight months just to get your website live, and then another six months to make your first sale, you feel beaten down, brutalized, and broken. And it's because your expectations are out of whack. So I'm trying really hard to help people define what I call success and failure triggers. And these are really simple. You just have to realistically look at how much time you can allocate to your side hustle and then realistically set success triggers. So a success trigger could be, I want to earn 3,000 Rand within the first six months, every month after that. Great. And when you do that, there's no pressure for you to go and earn 300,000 Rand because you've set your success trigger and you're moving towards it. Once you get there, you can reassess and redefine your success triggers. That's cool. But don't let your expectation think that, oh, I'm going to be earning 100,000 Rand and quit my job within four months. I promise you now that that's not true. In the first five years, most businesses don't even know what they do. Only after then do you settle in and get an idea of where you're going. The fact that we, and the problem that I have here is we see these big entrepreneurs, and I'll use WhatsApp as the example. They went from zero to $19 billion exit in five years. Hmm. That is historically an unheard of achievement. Literally, Amazon didn't build that quickly. It's astounding, but then we think we can do it. And we can't. They're the exception that proves the rule that it takes a long time to build anything of value. And I'm trying to get that message across. Get your expectations right. And then the risk doesn't feel so insurmountable. Mm, exactly. I love that. I think that's really important to to make sure that your, your expectations are calibrated. Don't think you can be uh, WhatsApp because, uh, as you say, that's really an outlier. Also, I related to a lot of what you wrote in your book, um, and it's it certainly res uh, reflected my experience as an entrepreneur quite quite closely and, and starting a side hustle and leaving my full-time job to, to do it. Um, but one of the things that probably resonated most for me was your chapter on consistency. Why is that so key for side hustles, and why do people get that wrong? We live in an age where immediacy is cool. We get dopamine hits and serotonin hits when we open up Facebook, when we flick through Twitter and we doom scroll through Instagram, looking at everybody's lives, thinking they're so amazing. And then we think that all I have to do to be Kim Kardashian is open up an Instagram account, show a little bit of leg, and I'll be famous. And it's just not true. That woman is a genius. She's worked 
for years to get as successful as she is. Again, she's the outlier. And the thing that we don't see is that she works consistently, much like everybody else with any modicum of success or fame. They do what they do for years without ever seeing any success. They do it just because they love to do it. My favorite example of this is Joe Rogan. He's exploded into fame in the last couple of years because of his exit to Spotify for $100 million with his podcast. But I urge people to go to Joe Rogan's YouTube channel and look at his very first video nearly 12 years ago and look at how bad it was. You only get better if you do things consistently. And again, going back to perfection is perilous. You're waiting to release this perfect podcast or video episode or this incredible product because you think that it's going to be this incredible achievement, the first shot. Just not true. It's insane to think that. There are so few people who have written bestsellers in their first novel. And for example, Seth Godin, he has contributed to and written almost 120 books in his career. He only has five bestsellers. That's what consistency produces, a body of work that shows that you're prolific, that hones and refines your skills until eventually you're good enough to be recognized as an expert in your field. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt with podcasting. So I started this podcast without knowing much about podcasting at all. Actually, yeah, I'd say I, I knew nothing about podcasting. And I think this is probably going to be the 45th episode or something like that. And sometimes when I go back and listen to my first episode, it's a bit embarrassing. Like I, I really feel like oh, I, I really shouldn't keep that one up there. But um, but it's also good to see where you've come from and and how much just putting the time in actually just works. Absolutely right. I mean, you don't get good overnight. It's just not true. It doesn't exist. And there's so many stories like that. The overnight successes we see, they're just not real. Zoom is a really good example. Nearly a 10-year-old business. It needed a pandemic to become as big as it is today. So we just assume that because we want to do something, we should do one episode and then move on. Um, there's a guy I follow on YouTube and I've been following uh, in the digital world for years. His name is Noah Kagan. And he, he likes to tell people the rule of 100. If you want to start something, commit to doing 100 of them. Then you can assess if you're good enough, if you're frustrated with the growth or whatever. But until you've had 100 episodes or 100 articles or 100 YouTube videos, you don't know. You don't know if you're good enough at anything. And this goes to side hustle sales, for example. The number of people who tell me they can't make money, but also then follow that up with, oh, I only made one or two sales calls today. That's mm -hmm. not selling. That's kind of maybe phoning some people and seeing if they might one day want to buy from you. Sales, much like everything else, is a mathematical equation. The more episodes you put up, the more likely you are to get discovered. The more sales calls you make, the more likely you are to convert at a 10% rate and then get your targets. It's just about building consistently and grinding it out. And it is a big part of why I tell people to only allocate time they can afford. Because if you've got two hours a week, great. Every week, two hours a week, grind out for those two hours. Then ignore it. Whatever else uh, in your time has to do with your side hustle. Just give those two hours. But when you're doing it, just do it consistently. Mm, focus. The one thing I didn't agree with um, in the book was when you said that you shouldn't make your passion into a side hustle. So um, I don't know if this is an exception because it's travel. So so the podcast is my side hustle to my, my main business, which is a travel business. And I've always been passionate about traveling. And I started this business and travel to share my passion for South Africa with, with foreign visitors wanting to come here. And I enjoy the work and I also still enjoy traveling. So maybe it's because travel is about rewarding oneself and fulfilling 
fulfilling dreams, but it seems to be an exception to a rule. Um, it, it definitely worked in my case to, to follow my passion with my side hustle. Yes, this is definitely one that um, gets me in the most trouble with people because I haven't met a single person who's actually off the bat agreed with me on this. Um, but I have a very clear audience that I'm speaking to when I talk about this. My book is written for people who've never built a business before, who need to diversify their income streams, but who also need to keep some semblance of passion and joy in their life that doesn't equal money. And that's a key thing. From experience, you and I can know that when your passion becomes something that generates your main stable income, it's not as fun because what if it's not earning you the money? And we get to grips with that, right? So this is my, I'm building my 15th business now. So I understand I can be passionate about the thing that I'm doing and have it earn money for me and not end up hating it. But if you like to cook and it's your downtime and after work, you spend two hours cooking and then you want to turn cooking into a business, what happens to that two hours of fun? It's gone. It becomes two hours of pressure and then it becomes a chore and then you start hating cooking. So the statement that I like to help people understand is, most of the time, you shouldn't turn your passion into a side hustle. However, you should be passionate about the side hustle you are building. So I don't want anyone who hates accounting to force themselves to learn accounting because they think it's going to earn the money. That's the opposite of what the advice I'm giving, because you're going to end up hating that too. You just shouldn't turn your hobbies, the things that bring you joy in life into revenue generating things, because more often than not, they're going to lead to pain and frustration for you. But obviously, there are exceptions that prove the rule. So unfortunately, we don't have time to cover everything uh, in your book. That's in your book in the short uh, podcast, Nick. I do encourage people who would like to start a, a side hustle to read your book because it's full of good advice and tips. But what's the one thing that you would like to leave our listeners with? I think the main thing for me is... Most of us are concerned and scared about other people's opinions, about what the world will think, about everything that comes along with the social pressure of doing this thing that you're thinking of. But here's the truth. Nobody, in the best way possible, cares about your side hustle. Nobody. Nobody cares if you start. Nobody cares if you finish. Nobody cares if you succeed or fail because they're so concerned about their own bottom line. They're so concerned about their own side hustles and their own thoughts and ideas that they're not paying as much attention to you as you think. This is the trick that social media has given us, that we think everybody's watching us all the time. And I have actual examples of this. My, um, my COVID was filled with businesses. I started a business around May and within two months, I'd made no sales and publicly brought on lots of keynote speakers who got big profiles. And two months later, I shut it down and announced that I shut it down. You know what happened? Nothing. Nobody cared. Nobody berated me. Nobody called me an idiot for trying. People were like, good work, dude. At least you tried. At least you know when to walk away. At least you made an effort. And this is the thing I want to leave with most people is nobody is watching you. Dance like nobody's watching because they're not. They're so concerned about how they dance. So just go out and build the thing you want to build. You will at least get rid of that regret if you build it and it fails. Nick, the last question is one that I ask all of my guests, and that is what's the one piece of financial advice you would like to pass on to the next generation? Um, I would say right now, uh, diversify. That's, I think, tied to that is diversify your income streams and then invest early and let compound interest work. 
That's the key. That's how wealth is created is investing. When your mother tells you at 16 to invest 300 grand a month, do it and then leave that money there because you'll be 33 before you know it. And that 300 grand a month will be a hundred thousand rand that I wish I'd done that. Everybody told me to, I thought I was smarter and now I regret it. But yeah, those are the two diversify and invest early. Yeah, the the compound uh, compound growth is like magic, and until you see it, you you don't believe anyone. You know, like you've got to actually see it to believe it. It's so frustrating that we're so stupid as humans that we need to <laughs> learn our own lessons when they're being presented to us every time. Great, thank you so much for your time today on the Family Finance Show, Nick. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. <laughs> 